Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Welcome, folks, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly, but you can call right now if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Before Mr. Kelly heads out to the newsroom, uh, New Year's Eve coming up soon. You guys got big plans? No, uh, we're going to the Blues game. Whoa! Party on, dude. Yeah, and then I got to work. I don't have to work till 10 on New Year's Day. I'll be here from 10 to 6, so I can... I'll probably stay up a little while. Wow. Well, but at our age, man, it's it gets eight thirty nine o'clock, man. That's what do you mean, time. our age? I'm 10 years, 15, <laughs> 20 years older than you. Well, at your age, I'm surprised you're awake now. But anyway. I am too. No, I'm yeah, surprised it's, uh, I'm still alive. So we're going to the Blues game. So, <laughs> hey, every day is a blessing, right? Absolutely. I went out the other day, by the way, and uh, I finally pulled some of the weeds and stuff that had been growing in my strawberry patch. You know, the tall stuff. Right. I, I left the, the low stuff because I'm not sure what's strawberry, what's not. And what? The, and the strawberry. You can't tell a strawberry from other well, plants? Well, not at this time of year. Mm. It all kind of just looks like, you know. But okay. but the strawberry plants had some green leaves on them. Well, if you want to have a walk and natural? talk so I can come over and explain to you what plants well, are. I'm, I'm, I'm I like mean. a caller. I'm <laughs> Brian from <laughs> Illinois. So is that natural at this time of year they would be green? And then also, should I leave like the, some leaves and stuff on them to protect them in the cold? Not necessarily. But what, you know, what you're seeing that's green mm-hmm. is... Cool season annual weeds. Really? So don't you ever listen to the Garden Hotline? I'm busy. I'm in the newsroom following the latest oh. breaking stories for our vast multi-state audience. That Mike Miller talks about those a lot. Really? Yes. Okay. okay. Well, then I'll let somebody else call in. Right. You, know, you can answer their question. <laughs> right. Well, thanks, Brian. Thank you. And folks, every Saturday morning we get together and we can discuss your yard, landscape, garden, whether you have weeds in your strawberries or you have strawberries in your weeds. We don't know. And potting mixes, soil improvement, prunings, bugs, diseases, planting, removals, making the best choices. Remember my words, strictly open opportunities. After that, it's going to take physical and mental effort on your part in growing anything for the most part is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Unless you just buy sort of a something in a pot, when it sort of heads downhill, whoosh, you give it the toss. And uh, this is your show, by the way, and I appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg, he's producing, and a trainee, Alex. So we got, again, this show is so difficult, it takes two people to produce it. Boy, oh boy. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books, two are available in various locations, and uh, during the week I do landscape consulting. So if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and on the homepage there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I was sitting this morning and, uh, you know, it's always so dark, oh, I... 
this time of year. Ugh. I thought, where should I take my good gardening stroll? So I thought, well, I don't really have anything in mind in particular. So I just got in my car, headed towards uh, KMOX, and I thought, well, something's going to pop up. Yes, and it did. Something did pop up. One of the high points in St. Louis, and that's not the High Point Theater either. It's the Compton Hill Water Tower. That's at Grand and Russell. Right at the intersection there, there's a pair of knockout roses. Those roses, they're dormant, of course, but they must be tough because it looks like they've been there for a couple years. The website for the water tower, that's Compton Hill Water Tower, is www.watertowerfoundation.org. And the tower has tours the first Saturday of every month and then also during full moons between March and November. So you can get up there and see the full moon at the height of the water tower. Kind of sounds scary, the walk up and everything else. There's a bunch of mature trees in there, everything from sycamores to oaks to bald cypress. And then there's this great statue, and it's honoring German-American press. And the statue, and rightly so, is called the Naked Truth Monument. And it overlooks a fountain. And what this monument is, is a woman standing with two torches, or sitting actually, with two torches in her hand. And it's the Naked Truth and the fountain really sounded nice. This is actually Reservoir Park. It's not Compton Hill Park. But uh, Reservoir Park looks very, very good. The pines and spruces offer some nice greenery for this time of year. And as I was walking along the pathway, I looked down on the ground. And I thought, hmm, what are these? Female ginkle fruits. They had fallen much earlier in the season. And the city had installed a drinking fountain there, close, but obviously has been turned off this time of year. The uplighting on the tower was fantastic from a distance, but it must turn off at 630 because all of a sudden I looked back over my shoulder and the lights were off. So you never know. The lawn areas were nice because there was a lot of leaves still on the ground, so the crunching sound is nice to hear. And the, really the park or the reservoir park, wraps fully around the reservoir. But uh, I stayed on the west side today. And uh, when there was no traffic on Grand, whoa, it was so nice, just the quietness and everything else. And this Saturday morning during the holiday season was very, very tranquil. But I started getting cold. I'd been out about a half hour or so. I'm turning into a real wimp. I can't believe it. So I thought, oh, I'm cold. And... uh, it's really hard to write, you know, when it's cold. You can't have gloves on to be able to write, and you can't punch things onto a phone either with gloves on, so you're kind of trapped. So my hand was frozen almost. But anyway, I headed back to my car and then got into the car, eastbound towards KMOX. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'll be back after the messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Please call. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have any callers. I'm going to kill the show. With Roundup, of course. That kills everything. Anyway, Mr. Kelly was saying, amongst his strawberries, Brian, could you please uh, listen to this now? There was weeds that were green, and these are annual weeds. This is a time of year, cool season annual weeds. They're growing like crazy. 
And things like henbit, dead nettle, they're both two types of lamiums. So L-A-M-I-U-M, Mr. Kelly, you're paying attention, I hope. And um, they kind of look like strawberries just a little bit. There's chickweed, which is very prolific, very aggressive, really expanding out. Now, none of them are flowering this time of year, but they're sending out a heck of a lot of foliage. And so when the weather starts warming up in another probably like four or five or six weeks, you'll start to see the flowers and then the seeds will be dropping. So there's annual bluegrass. There's prickly lettuce. There's Persian speedwell. And that's a type of Veronica, but it's a weedy Veronica. It has nice blue flowers, but they're really tiny. And again, aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. Then shepherd's purse is another one. So these are weeds that had drops. They'll drop their seeds all the way up from, let's say, mid-February up until the weather gets warm in mid to late May. Then the mother or father plants, whichever, disappear. And then consequently, that whole time, though, that they were alive, they were dropping seeds. And those seeds will lay there until mid to late August. And then in mid to late August, then they'll start germinating again, germinating. And so that's why you need to put a pre-emergent down two times a year. Once in the springtime, that's for the warm season weeds. And that's put down basically when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. Then the cool season weeds, they're germinating in mid to late August. So that's when you need to put a pre-emergent down. So days of old, they just said one pre-emergent, that's all you really needed. But no, there's two different series of weeds, and that's what the real problem is. So again, the weeds that you, if you go out in your yard right now, and especially if you have, let's say, a zoysia lawn, where most of it should be tan, anything that's green could possibly be one of these annual weeds. Like, And if it looks like grass, it's going to be the annual bluegrass. And you think, well, what's wrong with bluegrass? Well, this is an annual bluegrass. It doesn't quite look like regular, and it doesn't spread. All it does is kind of a clump. And the clump will produce seeds, and then, again, those seeds will drop and come up later on. Other things that you need to be thinking about this time of year, perfect time to have a tree or an arborist come out and take a look at your trees. And you say, well, what good could it possibly do? Well, an arborist can tell, looking in a tree, how much dead wood there is, what needs to be opened up, what do, you know, pruning-wise and everything else. So that's really kind of... A real smart thing to do. And then the most important thing to do, if you didn't give this to, as a Christmas gift to somebody, you sh- probably should have. And if you didn't, you know, probably not too many people give this as a Christmas gift, but uh, a soil test. Get your soil tested. Have a separate test for the lawn, for the any kind of garden space and everything else. And find out actually what's in the ground so you can make smart choices for the following or for the future, not just the following season. Let's go now to Centralia, Illinois, and Bill lives in Centralia. Hi, Bill. Yes, I would uh, wish you a happy new year coming up. And uh, I have, uh, I still have asparagus. Is is it time to cut it back? Yeah, you can cut it down now. uh, It's already sprayed out, right? Yeah, Yeah. it looks like a artificial (laughs) something. (laughs) <laughs> well, it looks like asparagus ferns, only it's not really. Yeah. But, yeah. And uh, so, no, this is a good t- You can go ahead and cut it at this time. What's the best way to do it, individually or? Well, that's the ideal way. But if you have a large asparagus patch, that could take quite a while. So it's. Uh, it's about 25 feet. 
So, and how wide? Just a single well, line? About three feet. So that's you got a lot of asparagus coming up in there. You, I wouldn't use any kind of equipment myself, but uh, okay. that's just me. Right. If you want to, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people that could say, I use my weed eater, I use a hedge trimmer, I've used this, I use that, and it may be fine, but uh, I just like to, you know, for the most part, I do hand pruning as much as possible. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes, and Happy New Year to your puppy, too. Yeah, <laughs> one of the three. <laughs> oh, one of the three. Wow. Asparagus and dogs. You are you got quite the combo there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. And if anybody else has any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And I was talking about the soil testing, that if you didn't give it uh, for a holiday gift— you can get your soil tested, and University of Missouri has extensive you know, places to do the soil testing for you. And the main one is going to be on the Columbia campus, and it's the MU Soil and Plant Testing Lab. There's also one, the Delta Soil Testing Lab, and that's going to be in Pottageville, or Portageville, sorry, Portageville, Missouri. Then they have the Custom which is not part of the University of Missouri. The Custom Laboratory is in Golden City, Missouri, which I'm not exactly sure where Golden City is. But also there's private companies that will do the soil testing for you. And locally, the SGS, and it's in Belleville, it's on Main Street in Belleville, they will do the soil testing. And the the soil tests are just so important because that really tells you what's in the ground so you can save yourself time and money. And a lot of times what we've found over the years that, uh, you know, you think, well, I fertilized everything. What's happening? Why is this not doing well? Well, when you look at a fertilizer bag, there's three main numbers. The phosphorus and potassium are the last two numbers. So consequently, if you continually put, you know, the same fertilizer down, the phosphorus and potassium stay in the ground for several years after application where the first number, the nitrogen, it goes up into the atmosphere only a few days after applied. So the plants have to grab the nitrogen really quick, but the other ones stay there. And what we've found, what the researchers have found, is high levels of phosphorus and potassium can actually dehydrate your soil. That would dehydrate your root system, and that would make it really, really tough you know, for the, pretty much any kind of plant material to do well. So that's, I mean, that's one of the major things. So it's not just finding out what your soil is lacking. It's finding out what your soil has too much of because that can be just as much as a, to a disadvantage of your plant material as a lacking. And let's go to Joe, and Joe lives in South City. Hi, Joe. Hey, how you doing? Very good. That's good. Hey, I got a question about a banana tree. Okay. Uh, okay, now last year I looked up on YouTube, and they said to take – the banana trees and cut them off at the at the ground, mm-hmm. and then I built like a little thing around it with some old pallets, and I filled that with mulch. And in the springtime, they came up and just spread gorgeously. Right. But this but this year I didn't do that Ooh. because I didn't have time to build the pallet and get the the mulch and everything else, what I did was I just cut them off about maybe six to eight inches from the ground. Did I mess them up? (laughs) Well, it's really going to depend upon the weather. 
So if yeah. the, if our winter is really severe, the bananas without any kind of protection, mulch or whatever, are not hardy. And especially right. if they're if they're sort of positioned away from your house, which I'm assuming these are. We've, well, actually, they are right next to the back of my house. Well, then you, they may be protected enough, but I would still go out right now and any of that stuff that's still sticking above the ground, I would cut off the, you know, cut it down to about an inch or so. Or you can just mm-hmm. leave it as it is. And you don't have to build any kind of frame or structure around it, but I would get some mulch and put over the top of it because the chances of them surviving is going to be minimal if we have, you know, you know let's say a, a normally severe winter that uh, we're sort of anticipating. Yeah. So, uh, it's not too late, though? Um, we, we've had some cold, but the, the soil temperatures have really only over the last couple of weeks really started to get really cold. And then the sort of the echo effect of the warmth of your house, and it's, you said it was on yeah. the west side, right? Uh, no, it's on the east side. Oh, east side. Well, still, it's in the back of my house. Yeah, still there's going to be a, a circumstance where the sun and rising in the morning is going to warm the side of your house. That's going to warm the soil right there. So that's going yeah. to you know help keep the bananas, at least the root systems, maybe a little bit more viable. But uh, you could just sort of blow it off and see what happens, and you can call back and tell me, well, I didn't need to mulch them. But we found over well, the I- years that certain things that were always, let's say, like cannas, Everybody always thought you had to dig them up and bring them in, you know, chop them off, chop off the above ground growth, bring them in. But now there's been many locations where people have just mulched them and they've come back very successfully. But usually they're ones that have been planted in close proximity to a house. Well, so I'm I'm not all bad then, huh? No, not all. But uh, it's just going to be a roll of the dice because we just don't know what's going to happen. Well, I do. I, I do have some uh, mulch in another part of my yard. Maybe I'll just throw that on top of it and not build the the tower again. Yeah, I mean that's pretty extensive that you built something you know that extravagant. But well, uh, I, I had a free weekend. <laughs> 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 okay. All right. Well, thanks again. All right. Great. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing how we have found certain things have been able to survive, which were considered totally tropical. And bananas is one. There's a house. Uh, up the street from me on Federer, which I call the Canna Banana Plantation. And they have cannas and bananas both. And uh, this year, I don't know, you know, what he's actually done, if he's dug them up or anything else. There's kind of no, you know, there's no sign of any of it. You know, he's got one at a, sort of at the alley and street intersection and then one on the south side of the house, which is a combination of things. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how well they do. Because he hasn't put any mulch or anything over the top of them. Now, I don't think he's dug them up, but I can't swear to that. And if anybody has any bananas growing in their yard and you try to dig them up, the, let's say the root system, the rhizome, and everything else of bananas is extensive. And when I was at the Botanical Garden, the first four years, as all longtime listeners know, I was in the English Woodland Garden. And then I went the last year I was going to stay, I decided to go in the Climatron because... I'd, in 1960, when I was in sixth grade, I went to a field trip to the Climatron, the first year it opened. So working in the Climatron, I, that was really a good experience for me from the standpoint of tropical plants. And the thing with bananas, too, is realize that banana juice can stain your clothes. That n- those stains never, ever come out. So it's really kind of wild stuff. 
Let's head out to Fenton right now and see what's going on with Vince. Vince, how are you? Great, Mike. Uh, I'm another one of your listeners who listens to you every Saturday morning, and sometimes it's kind of depressing in the St. Louis climate. <laughs> <laughs> but I to keep listening. And uh, last, last week I heard you telling a lady that uh, when she uh, plants seed, you do not favor straw, you favor compost. Right. And uh, I didn't really catch how you do that. Do you throw the uh, seed out first and then the compost on top? Or do you mix the compost with the soil first, or what do you do? Basically, you're just using it as a top dressing. If we're talking about grass seed, correct? Right. I had a maple tree taken out. Right. And the stump and um, as much of the roots as I could. Right. And uh, But now in the spring, I need to start over. Yeah, I think, you know, a top dressing with the compost after the seed is down is what I'd recommend. Now, if have you had the stump ground out? Yes, yes. So any area that's, you know... Where there's actually the stump or the tree was, you're not going to have successful grass growing there for multiple years, even with the stump ground out and everything else. And just make sure you get all the stump grindings out, too, because that is any kind of wood chips along those lines can really have a detrimental effect on any kind of seed that would be germinating regardless of what you do. I've heard you say that before. The uh, stump grinders uh, disagreed with you, but I I, I agree with you. (laughs) Uh, should, should I bring in a truckload of dirt and maybe try? Well, try, if uh, you're going to do that, you know, bring in topsoil, get a combination of topsoil and compost together, and don't just lay it on top of the ground. You're going to have to mix it in with the existing soil. If you don't do that, then you're just creating an artificial world, and the seed may germinate, but it may not be able to penetrate the root system-wise into the ground to make it hardy. So that's where that's sort of the bad side of just bringing in a load and spreading it. Well, you can see what I mean by depressing, Mike, but I'll give it a go. All right. Okay, thank you very much. Yep, good luck, Vince. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Today after the show, uh, I'm going to work outside a little bit as the leaves continue to blow out of Christie Park because of our direction. The southwest winds blow them right up into our yard. Us and the guy that lives across the street, we get not more leaves than anybody else, but we get a lot. So I'm going to have to check out and see how many, you know, how many leaves blew in because we had some wind two nights ago, I believe, or maybe it was like, yeah, two nights ago. And uh, I mean to tell you, it was kind of incredible. And I have some kind of seasonal decorations up, and some one of them is gone. I don't know where it, you know, like went up in a tornado or something. I can't find it. I'm, that's what I'm going to do also. I'm going to crawl around in my yard and try to find this. No, anyway. But anyway, let's go to Donaldson, Illinois. And Danny, how are you today? I'm doing good. How's your morning going? Very good. I've got a quick question for you. The uh, utility companies had a uh, tree trimming crew on the edge of the yard the last couple of days, uh, trimming back some trees from mm-hmm. the power lines. And uh, I managed to talk them out of a, a couple loads of the uh, mulch that they'd run through the chipper shredder. Should I let that stuff set for a year before using it? I've got varied opinions on whether it's worthwhile to mess with it. Uh, my whole thing was it was free and it was readily available. I didn't know if I did the right thing by getting it or not. 
you can, you know, it was fine to get it because, I mean, when it, even if it's St. Louis composting, when they truck loads of, you know, wood comes in, they run them through chippers. But, yes, you have to let it more or less ferment. So, in other words, it's kind of like you create a, let's say, a mulch wine. If you don't, if you just spread it, those fresh chips on top of the ground as a mulch, it's going to pull moisture up out of the ground. Also, it's going to bind up nutrients too. That's why using something like this that haven't that hasn't been fermented or seasoned, you know, I don't know if you have to do it a full year, but at least six months or so, then okay. uh, you're going to create more problems than you're doing good. Okay, well, six months would work out about good. That put us into May. Do you think it would be worthwhile to every week or so just go hit it with the tractor and loader and roll it over to kind of keep it broken down and mixing it up? You probably don't have to do it every week, but every so often. Whenever you feel like going out, you know, weather's nice or whatever. But, yeah, that's really to the advantage because turning things over, that actually helps sort of trigger the breakdown process. Okay. All right, man, that helped out a bunch. I Thank you so much. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And now let's go from Illinois to South County. Lynn, how are you today? I'm doing uh, very well, Mike. Uh, thank you for your show. And uh, I've got a couple of questions. Acorns. I've got a, about a 30-foot, very full uh pin oak in the front yard and this year it dropped almost all its leaves and every acorn i think is that was on there now do i leave those on the ground or try to blow them off with i've i've had a rake four times and it was corrugated and um uh overseeded so i i don't know if i've really damaged the the new grass coming up by trying to get all the acorns up as well as the leaves. So uh, that's one question. The other question would be, is the bushes that they call or used to refer to as yews, I guess that's E-W. Y-E-W. Yeah, okay. Uh, I need to cut those back about four inches. Uh, When is the best time to do that? Well, personally, I don't like to prune going into the colder season, but that's my own hang-up. That's not to say it's the only way. Many people will prune, you know, this time of year. I like to wait until after Valentine's Day because sometimes you prune, which is fine, but then if we have a severe winter, then you get, let's say, cold damage to those tips, which are now fully exposed, and then you have to do pruning again. So that's why I, you know, my tendency is to wait to prune definitely any kind of evergreen. So that's so you could do it if you want to. You could do it now, but uh, make sure that you know cutting back four inches. You're not cutting back into the use where there's no more needles still, let's say, exposed or growing. Okay, uh, these are very kind. They're planted kind of funny, or they were planted up against the stoop of the front porch, mm-hmm. and so they're the main root is about three feet, uh, two feet back from the the evergreen tips, if you know what I mean. Sure. And uh, so they're only going in, in two directions, out uh, towards the yard and up. And so I will take your advice, though, on Valentine's Day. But the, now about the acorns and the uh, leaves, I've been keeping the leaves up. What about the acorns? If they break down, is that nutrients for the soil or is it a, is a deterrent? No, it's going to probably be more of a deterrent than a nutrient. 
because it's going to take them forever to break down, first of all. And you're going to you're going to have problems trying to grow any kind of grass underneath a tree anyway. Not only the shade, everybody always thinks it's the shade of the tree, but in reality, it's the root system of the tree competing with your lawn. So you've done everything you can possibly do. You've gotten rid of a lot of the debris. But regardless of what you do, you're not going to really have a great successful lawn underneath any kind of larger tree. Okay. And, well, in that regard, uh, I've kept it uh, 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 trimmed high enough so it does get plenty of light and everything so the, actually that's where my best best grass is growing really yes i mean it's it, it uh it's there's about uh 12 to 14 feet of trunk showing before you get to the branches and i think personally i think that you know it's getting plenty of sun and plenty of water because i do a lot of watering under there as well but uh, one last question. I, when I was uh, raking at the, oh, right around the end of September, I was scheduled for a core aeration and overseeding. And when I started raking up the trimmings from this bush, uh, guess what started coming up? Uh, the turf. And as I kept raking, lightly even, the turf kept coming up and coming up. So I ended up with about a 24-foot diameter of bare soil from the grubs that were underneath. And you, they, would, they would just come up out of the ground as I'd rake. Right. And, okay, so my lawn service, when they, I, had, I was lucky enough to get them to come out to do a grub treatment in that area, and when they went to core-aerate and overseed, they core-aerated the whole thing, but there's about an eight-foot diameter section where they just completely missed it, and that's where you can start to see those winter uh, weeds that right. you talk about. Uh, so what can I do in that particular bare spot? Because there is the you know little uh, the little grass plants coming up where the seed uh, did germinate and take uh, take root. Uh, really, not too much this time of year. I mean, uh, okay. just kind of keep your fingers crossed. And the grubs could have been the problem with you know when the raking and everything, but also it could be just the fact that your roots you know of your turf weren't that well embedded into the ground, and that's why it was coming up also. So for yeah. grubs to be problematic, within one square foot, you have to have six grubs. So if, if, you were have, if you had that many, yes, the grub control may help, but it's still not necessarily going to be something that's going to be you know, the end all. There's five different types of grubs that are in the soils here. Only one really does damage, and it only does damage to bluegrass lawns. It doesn't do damage to zoysia or fescues. Okay, this was uh, uh, a white worm that was approximately, oh, an inch, inch and a, about an inch at uh, max. That was curled. With, uh, with brown nose. Yeah, that was cur- more or less curled in a C yeah, shape. Yeah, exactly. so they were grubs for sure. But again, you have to have a lot of grubs to do major damage to lawn areas. But I, it, I did a, have that six per foot. Yeah, okay, foot. so you had a major problem. So yes. just watch out, and you're going to have grubs for the next couple of years, probably. Okay, so. I keep that in mind. Okay, great. Thank you very much for the information, and happy New Year to the entire audience. Well, thank you, and thanks, Lynn. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Let's go, Blue 
Joey Vitale here, and tonight is a hockey night in St. Louis as Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins come to town. Catch all the action from Enterprise Center tonight with the pregame show at 6.30 and the faceoff at 7 on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey, KMOF. Let's go Blues! Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we do have some open lines, so if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I had a walk and talk this past uh, Wednesday, and it was in Fenton, and it was off Bowles Avenue. And uh, it was actually somebody I had done a design for years ago, but the, the neighbors around them had changed, and some new people had moved in, and so they, you know, they wanted just to sort of update some of the ideas and do some changes. And while I was sitting, I was uh, checking my messages and everything else before I went to their front door. Uh, here I was sitting in the street. It's, you know, it's kind of a hilly. This is a part of Fenton that's, you know, not totally developed or anything else. But uh, all of a sudden I look up and there's like six. No, it was actually maybe six or seven deer. Just they came up out of where there was a pond up the hill and then just walked onto the street. And then they were very nice. The deer didn't walk uh, on the grass. They walked on the sidewalk, which I thought, hmm, there was one leading. It was like they're all following. But I thought here people are here. It's middle of the day. It was well, it wasn't the middle of the day. It was a little bit before nine in the morning. But to, to see that many deer just kind of walking along, I don't know where they were heading or anything else. But uh, there are lots of plant materials if you do have a deer circumstance in your area where you live. Some of the trees that are more resistant or less appealing to deers include the ginkgo tree, some of the shrubs like oak leaf hydrangea, the hawthorns, that's less appealing, the junipers, the paperbark birches, the blue spruce, the witch hazel. So those are things that you may think about putting into your landscape if you do have a significant deer population in the area where you live. So consequently, you got to do something. But if it's a severe winter, the deer are going to be desperate and they're going to go after anything that, let's say, is well taken care of because there's going to be more moisture content in it. So the deer, yes, they do eat certain things. You know, for the food value, but for the most part, a lot of times it's just for the moisture content. And then also in that as well should be any of the use. And for so the use, but still, you're going to see people and you're going to know, you know, oh, there's some deer prune my use and I didn't really want them prune. Some of the perennials and ground covers that are less appealing again to the deer include the sedium. The sedum, S-E-D-U-M. There's all kinds of various varieties of sedum. The vinca minor, which is periwinkle. The vinca minor is the ground cover that's evergreen that has a blue flower in the springtime. Columbine, coreopsis, primrose, uh, penicetum, purple coneflower. Most of the varieties of ferns, Russian sage, a lot of the different types of herbs like thyme they don't really like at all either. And then bulbs, too. There's certain bulbs that they're going to stay away from if they have an option or a choice. Lycoris, that's a surprise lily. The flowering onion, they don't necessarily like. The crocus, the glory of snow, the snowdrops, the hyacinth, and uh, the daffodils. So, And annual-wise, there's only really a few that they're not going to go after. And we know that certain things, the perennial-wise, let's say, the deer are always going to pretty much eat 
is going to be like hosta and things with bigger leaves with high moisture content. So, you know, that's really what they're going after again. And some of the annuals that they don't necessarily like, lantana, globe amaranth, snapdragons, cleome, and marigolds. So those are some of the things that deer do not necessarily going to go after in a circumstance like that. Japanese beetles, you know, this time of year, the grub you know, question, a Japanese beetle, when he's, a, let's say, young, a pupa, that's what he is. He's a grub in the ground. But again, there's only, out of the five different kinds of grubs that are found in our soils here, only one does major damage to lawns. And again, that one is, uh, a, you know, and the annual, I guess, annual grub, I don't want to call it, you know, I don't know technically what its name is. But it goes after bluegrass only, and uh, the other four don't. They'll be in the soil, but they don't do damage to the lawns. But the things that are, uh, let's say, damaged less by Japanese beetles include the red maples, uh, let's say the boxwoods, the dogwoods, the ash trees, the hollies, the tulip trees, the mulberries, the poplar trees, and most of the oaks. So the Japanese beetles don't go after that. And they don't go after the evergreens for some reason at all. That Maybe they're going to change and morph into something else in the future. But right now they don't go after, like let's say, fir trees, uh, junipers, yews, arborvitae, rhododendrons, spruce, pines, or hemlocks. So they're generally not attacked ever by the Japanese beetles. And some of the things that are going to be most likely being attacked by the Japanese beetle, what a surprise, the Japanese maple, the Norway maple, the horse chestnut, the hollyhock or Rosa Sharon, the, some of the birch trees, and let's see, black walnut, that's a surprise, the flowering crab apple trees or just the crab apples in general, the cherry trees, the roses, of course, the sassafras, the mountain ash, the American linden tree, and uh, grapes. So if you're growing grapevines, the Japanese beetles will go after that. So there are certain things just in general that uh, you can kind of avoid problems with it. And if you know that, you know, if you have a Japanese problem, Japanese beetle problem, definitely the best control is going to be going after them in the grubs. Or there's so many people that get, you know, get them on their plant materials, they go out with a bowl of soapy water and just knock them down into the bowl, and then uh, that kind of gets rid of them. So let's head out to St. Charles. And Linda, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank great. you. Um, I have a question. I got one of these little gadgets for Christmas that tells you the moisture in your plants and um, the alkaline or acid and the light. Mm-hmm. All my plants, I have aloe vera, and I've got some palm trees I brought in, and elephant ears, and it all, they all say that they're too acidic. Is that a problem for those plants? For the most part, no. If the, oh, okay. you know, the, basically, the problem with would be if they were too alkaline, because the alkalinity in your soil has a tendency to make your soil dry, and that kind of consequently can make the root systems dry. So even though, you know, it's you would think it would be the other way around, that something like, let's say, acidity, like vinegar, would be more problematic to roots, but it's not the case. It's the alkalinity that's more problematic. But that's really kind of surprising that you you must, the, the potting mix that they are growing in must be, you know, let's say a, a peat, peat moss base or something along that line. And have you ever had your water tested as far as the alkalinity of your water? 
no, I haven't. <laughs> okay, I'm just curious because, you know, the city water, our pH of our water in the city of St. Louis is above 7, and that 7 is neutral, and it's t- towards the alkaline side. And you can always okay. see at the sort of the end of where the water spigot comes out, and uh, you can see there's like a lime building up on the tip of your uh, faucet. And so uh-huh. consequently, you can tell from that circumstance. But that's real interesting that you have, uh, because water kind of has a tendency to flush a lot of different things out of the soils. And the okay. acidity would be flushed out generally if you had, an, uh, let's say, an alkaline tap water that you're watering with. But it sounds like uh-huh. you're doing everything just right. Okay. Now, I have a separate filter that we drink from. Should I not give that to the plants? Should I just give them the tap water? No, you could do I would say stay with what you're doing because you've been successful with it. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you. Happy and New Year. Uh, happy New Year to you and Happy New Year to everyone. We do have another hour, the Garden Hotline. So if you do have any questions or concerns or take a look out your window and see what's going on out there. And we will be back after the news. So just enjoy. Don't go outside, though. It's too cold. You're going to freeze. No, it's not that cold yet. Thank goodness. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you in a few minutes. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, comments, or concerns. By the way, thanks for having me on your show. You can give a call. We can talk about plant selection. The ups and downs related to annuals. I'm still seeing some annuals in pots in the promenade area. So your pansies could still be doing well if they were well taken care of. How about your bulbs? You, uh-oh, you forgot those daffodils that you uh, left out in the garage and didn't get planted that you just bought? Uh, you can get them in the ground. Do it soon, but just make sure the location is going to be very well drained. Your edibles? Your cool season vegetables and things like that, they should be looking pretty darn good. That cold that was 16 degrees a couple of weeks ago, that could have had some damage to them. Your ground covers, sometimes the ground covers can be problematic, especially if you have them underneath, let's say, larger trees, problematic from the standpoint of the foliage and the leaves that fall out of the trees. You know, what do you do with that? Well, for the most part, just kind of leave it alone. If you go out there and try to rake it out, nope. Try to blow it out, nope. You're going to probably have to set your mower high and just mulch them. Your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your water gardens, and your vines. I'll share my thoughts and always remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take. And uh, it's just an option for you to consider. Greg and Alex are producing today. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. And uh, you can I come to your home. We can discuss the aesthetics, problem solving, or whatever you'd like. And uh, www.mikemillerdesigns.com is my website. On the homepage, email address and phone number is listed. So uh, now a tip of the trial, a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to Charles Brennan. You know Charles Brennan. He's a host here at KMOX during the week. 
And but uh, this past uh, holiday radio show, he kept saying that it was necessary for him to write things down. So I am now constantly writing things down as as the advice from Charles Brennan during the holiday radio show. But what I did write is Tracy and I were in Forest Park on Christmas Day. We just decided we wanted to take a walk, get some fresh air. So we were at the Grand Basin, and we looked up into a tree, and all of a sudden there's an American eagle high up into the tree, and the eagle stayed there for a long time. So a tip of the trial goes out to, again, Charles Brennan, because I wrote this down about the seeing the eagle in Forest Park on Christmas Day, and the American eagle, I mean, that was really cool to see. And uh, finally, we were just kind of, we walked around a little bit more, and the eagle disappeared. We didn't didn't get to see him float off, which we really wanted to do. But uh, I can't honestly say I'd ever seen an American eagle in Forest Park prior to that. Also, a tip of the trial goes out to various plants, societies, and cl- garden clubs in the metropolitan area, such as the Belleville Area Rose Society, the Bonsai Society of St. Louis, the Caseyville Gardeners, the Daffy, D-A-F-F-Y, Daffydale Garden Club, the Edwardsville Garden Club, the Fenton Garden Club, First Capital Garden Club, and Florida Lease Garden Club. So there's all kinds of garden clubs and plant societies the, the members are just so knowledgeable. It's just a fantastic situation. So if you have any kind of interest in any type of plant material or just in just interested in the outdoors, be sure and go to mobot, M-O-B-O-T dot org. That's a Missouri Botanical Garden site, and they will list all the organizations that and garden clubs and societies that meet at the Botanical Garden. So you might be wanting to do that. So you can just... A lot of times, the more you know about something, the more interesting it is and the more enjoyment you can get out of it. Yes, aesthetically, you can certainly enjoy things, but when you get a little information in the background, that can be very, very helpful. Let's go now, and for our first call, Joanne lives in Afton. Hi, Joanne. Hi. How are you this morning? Very good. Um, Mike, I have a Dawn Redwood tree, and it's oh, I've, it was planted as an adult and I've had it for several years. This year, I've noticed that there's like, a, a, from the ground up on the trunk, it's orange. And I just have never seen that before. It's just like orange streaks. Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about it. You know, it may be just the bark, you know, that's splitting, and you're kind of seeing the interior of the bark. Oh. If, if the tree is, is healthy overall then, you know, don't worry about it. It could be an exterior fungus, you know, which is not problematic from that standpoint. There's all kinds of different types of fungus and lichens and things like that that grow on trees. But uh, if you want to, to get a little bit more information on the Dawn Redwoods, there's a great collection of Dawn Redwoods at the Botanical Garden up by the Lehman Building and by Henry Shaw's old house that used to be downtown that they had moved to the Botanical Garden grounds. And uh, so consequently, it doesn't sound like anything, to, you know, as long as the tree was healthy and everything else, something yeah. exterior like that, I wouldn't worry about. Great. Thank you so much. Certainly. I'll get to the botanical garden. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. And now let's go, let's see, who's next? Bonnie in Highland, Illinois. Hi, Bonnie. 
Hi, Mike. Hey, Mike, I was given a Christmas present, and I really don't know what to do with it. Um, it's a box, 11 little air plants, and I I bought an octagonal, octagonal, whatever, a container for them, the glass, and I, I don't know really what to do. Um, I put some rock on the bottom, you know, bought a bag of garden rock from Hobby Lobby and put some moss on top of that and then set the little plants on top it, tried to push them into the moss a bit. But how do I take care of them from there? And am I even doing it right? Do I buy a bottle to, sp- I mean, you know, a spray bottle to spritz water on them? Um, or do I have to take them out? I did soak them completely for like an hour, you know, before I put, and then I let them dry for a number of hours and then put them in that container. But, and they look lovely in there, but how do I continue to take care of them? Well, the best thing you could probably do is pack them up and send them to warmer climates. No, I'm no. kidding. <laughs> but, I mean, you're doing everything just right. Virtually, these bromeliads, they don't need any. They don't really have a root system per se. Their root system basically is in their native habitats, which is warmer weather, just are used to hold onto the sides of trees or whatever branches or things along that line. And they take all the moisture and nutrients they need and just get it from their, let's say, their foliage. So they don't need they don't need really anything. I've got a couple of them myself, and occasionally I take them and you know sort of stick them underneath a faucet for a few seconds, and then that's pretty much it. And they're very 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 low care. They do like light, so if you put them in light, but if you have them in a more or less a terrarium circumstance, then everything is just exactly what they need. Well. But from what I hear, I go on my phone, I don't have a computer, and it says you should take them out and soak them once a week. Uh, And then again, something I hear is you can just spritz them in the container. But is what you're advising that you totally take them out of the terrarium-like thing that they're in and uh, put them underwater, say, every couple weeks? But no, you don't you need to, to do that. I'm just out. saying mine are, mine are not in a terrarium-type circumstance. So they're just kind uh-huh. of, let's say, laying on the top of a soil with an orchid. We don't want, I have them with orchids. But anyway, so I just, you know, I take the orchid when I water the orchid, and I just make sure that mm-hmm. I get some moisture on the bromeliad. So in other words, what I'm trying to do is just duplicate what happens in their native habitat, which these particular plants are not from there, but uh, they say their heritage is, and it's just, you know, rainforest and things like that. So if you just take, you know, and you have a mister and just mist them, that's all you need to do. Okay, but but then does it get too, I mean, you're saying just mist them, but is that going to collect it? And the moss itself, you know, I bought a bag of this moss. Right. Does that need, I mean, that spritzing that would take care of the little air plants, does that also take care of the moss? Your moss is, you're probably not going to be able to have success with the moss anyway, regardless of what you do. So, I mean, ideally what I would have done, which, you know, is fine what you did, was just get like orchid bark and put that in the bottom of the terrarium and then put your bromeliads, your air plants on the orchid bark. And that's pretty much it. Uh, where can I find orchid bark? Uh, you can, I have 
I mean, I was gonna, oh, go I'm ahead. sorry. I was going to say I haven't seen them. I went to Lowe's. They really didn't have anything. Right. Um, several other places. So where would you suggest? Well, you can go online. I know you don't have a computer, but somebody you know probably does. And just get uh-huh. a small bag of orchid bark or a lot of the year-round garden centers or the Missouri Botanical Garden, they have the orchid bark, and especially the orchid shows coming up in February, and you can go down, you know, go to the orchid show at the Botanical Garden, and I'm sure they're going to have bags of orchid bark as well. So, okay, if I get some, just put it on the bottom of the terrarium. Right. No rocks, right. no rocks, nothing else, just this orchid bark, and just set these little plants around on top of it. Exactly. And then it's okay just to spritz it, say, every week? Or, or whenever. Whenever you feel like it. Whenever you're feeling spritzy, you can spray some in your in your face to kind of moisturize your face. No. But no, yeah. you can just do it whenever you want. Okay. All right. So really get rid of the rock and the moss yeah. and get some of this orchid bark. Yeah, and you don't even have to get rid of that. It's just ideally the orchid bark would be... Let's say emulating more their sort of their real life circumstance where they're growing on the sides uh-huh. of trees in the tropics. But you were saying that the moss is not going to maybe do real good. So I mean that was my understanding. Would it be maybe good to get the orchid bark, put it over the rock if I want to keep the rock, but but the moss involves more. Maybe? Yeah, I would just say you could leave the moss there and just put the orchid bark on top of the moss. Okay, and the rock with yeah, that. Just I mean, leave it, leave it, and just put a little bit of orchid bark there. Okay, all right, Mike. I never dreamt I'd be calling you, but this Christmas present got me on the line. All right, great. So, well, thank you very much, and I do enjoy listening to your show. Well, your thanks program. for having me on your show, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Mornings and afternoons, King MOX has news at the top and bottom of the hour. Traffic and weather every 10 minutes. And sports at 15 and 45. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks. Questions, concerns, or comments about your yard, your landscape, your house plants. Uh... How about that tree, that live, did you you have a live tree? So in other words, a tree that has a root system that you brought inside. And uh, now what do you do as far as it's going to be time to move it outside? How do you acclimate it? Questions about those kind of things. Uh, Pruning, you know, on your roses. Like I talked about during my Good Gardening Stroll, how they had the, the city of St. Louis had the knockout roses right there at the intersection of Grand and Russell. And those knockout roses have not been pruned. Be interesting to see what those have. My own knockout roses, I have three in pots. I have two of them in the garage that I've pruned back. I left one in a pot. I did put it behind the Leland Cypress that we have for a little bit of protection, but I didn't prune it at all. I want to see how well it's going to do as far as making it through the winter time. Let's go now to Lake St. Louis and into Jane's yard. Jane, how are you today? Oh, good morning. Fine. Thank you. Um, I just came back from a visit to my sister in Florida, and she has a lovely pot of flowers called Crown of Thorns. Right. She suggested I might want to have one in my yard because they bloom all year. 
I looked them up, and I know they're not native to this area. They couldn't take the freeze, so right. they'd have to be brought in in the winter time. So is that something that could survive in the house over the winter? They're kind of tough to grow as a house plant. I mean, it's worth certainly worth a try. And uh, they have some at the Botanical Garden and the Climatron. They may even have some in the Mediterranean house area. But uh, crown of thorns is a little bit difficult as a houseplant. And the reason why, not only do I know that per se, just from a knowledge standpoint, but you rarely ever see them in garden centers for sale. And that's one of the reasons, because they have a very difficult time surviving. But if you can find some and uh, give them a try, that's not to say you won't have success with them. It's just they're going to be a little bit tough. Okay. Well, I was planning on planting them outside in a pot and then bringing them in. Sure, that's fine. So it sounds like they might not do well in the winter in the house. Exactly. The amount of sun and moisture-wise, humidity-wise, and everything else, that's going to be where the problems lie. Okay. Okay. Um, Well, I guess that answers my my question then. It may have to be just an... Treated as an annual, right? And a bit, I mean, they're really, I mean, they're really kind of neat plants. The yeah. thing in the winter time, like with all house plants, uh, no fertilizer from virtually, let's say, December, mid December until mid February at all, unless they happen to be in flower. And uh, definitely do not overwater. Okay. Okay, I will try that. Thank you for your help. Sure. Appreciate it. Happy New Year. Same to you. And now let's stay close by to Lake St. Louis and go into Wentzville. Shirley, how are you today? I'm just fine, Mike. How are you? Very good. I have a I have a problem with Japanese beetles. Every year I have crepe myrtles on the south side of my house. I have had for about 10 years. Um, and the crepe myrtles... I mean, I'm sorry, the Japanese beetles have always been a problem, but the last uh, few years seems like each year they just get worse. My question is, don't these go down in the ground uh, when they're uh, finished eating the plants? No, they don't go into the ground. What they do is they breed and then they lay the eggs and then go basically, you know, the eggs hatch and that becomes the grubs that are in your soil. Okay, so they'll they, where they they'll winter over in other areas, but they don't go into the ground necessarily. Okay, um, and I understand that. So, what turns into grubs? Do they stay in the same place pretty much where they've been? My my problem is each year they have gotten so bad that they will completely devour all of the uh, flowers. On a plant in a, a day, a day and a half. Right. They're prolific. Yeah. And, I mean, they, they really kind of have a tendency to stay, you know, where they, let's say, have been born. That's not the case always or anything else. But I would try some grub X, you know, some grub control on your soil as far as trying to get rid of them from that perspective. Okay. That's, that's my question is what I was wondering. My neighbor has one that's pretty close to mine and almost never bother hers. I have one in the front yard that they don't bother as much, but they still bother, and they're getting worse each year with that one. Right. So either so you think that will work on it, huh? Well, it's gonna, you're not going to get rid of all the grubs, all the Japanese beetles, and w- let's say with one application of you know, grub control. But you're probably going to have to do it over a couple years to finally get that population knocked down really, really low. 
But uh, yeah, it's going to, you know, there's nothing that's going to be instantaneous as far as solving something like a, a Japanese beetle problem that has grown and grown and grown and grown. And like I say, they, you know, they'll lay their eggs uh, and then the eggs will hatch and they'll go in down into the soil. And then as they pupate, as they ch- sort of change, and then they'll come up out of the soil when they're finally adults from the grubs. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a, you know, an involved process, let's put it that way, to finally get them gone. Okay, I will give it a try, but when do I apply this? Uh, the Japanese, basically, with the grub control, you probably want to put it uh, up when they're starting to get very near the surface because it's going to be more, let's say, effective because once in the wintertime, they're smart enough to go down deeper into the soil. But so let's say sometime around, it's weather dependent, but sometime after mid-April, I'd put the uh, grub control down. Okay, I will give that a try. And thank thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Happy New Year. Same to you. And uh, you know, if anybody has questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. How's your poinsettia plant doing? Is it doing really well? Are you really happy with it? Well, basically, with the poinsettia, they're a kind of a they more. They're not a succulent. They're not a cactus. But be careful and not overwater your your poinsettia. But you know, don't underwater it either. So you know, I mean, just keep that all in mind because it's going to be to the advantage of your poinsettia and get, put it in a window that's going to have the most light possible. You don't necessarily have to rotate it. And sometimes they're going to, you know, you read these things where they always come in those foil wraps and the foil wrap has no drainage holes in the bottom. And they say poke holes into the foil wrap. But then when you water, you know, it's going to have to go someplace. It's going to run out the bottom. So you're going to have to have a saucer underneath it. I just leave the foil wrap there and uh, don't poke any holes in it. I just make sure I only water when the potting mix starts shrinking away from the inside of the soil, you know, inside of the pot. And that way I know they're dry enough that then I water and then I don't water again until that's, you know, the potting mix shrinks away from the inside. Let's go now out to Baldwin and oh, should we take a break? Okay. Mike Miller KMOX Garden Hotline back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, to the phones we go, but if you do have any questions, you've been discussing it with somebody, or you looked out in your front yard and went, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on out there? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Heading out to Baldwin and Dale, how are you today? I'm doing good, Mike. I have a quick question for you. Did you go to Lafayette? Yes, do you remember Jerry Harmon and Danny Lamb and me from uh, high school? Well, Jerry Harmon grew across grew up across the street on Maple Lane from me. Yes, and uh, now what's your last name? Williams. Dale Williams. Yeah, I kind of do. I mean, that was a long, long time ago. It was fifty plus years. Oh my God! <laughs> That's right. We used we used to play wiffle ball out in front of Jerry Harmon's house. Right. All right. Anyway, got a question for you about some uh, weed control. Um, I've got weeds in my yard, of course, this time of year. Can I control those and kill them off, or do I have to wait till spring? Yeah, you're not going to be able to. Herbicides are totally ineffective this time of year. So the weeds that you would, you know, you, you may have perennial weeds, but you're going to have to wait until the weather warms up while they're actively, while the herbicide would be actively, you know, effective, let's put it that way. What kind of uh, temperature are we talking about before I can start 
if they're probably, let's say, well, it's going to be ground temperature wise, but probably at the same time that you'd put a pre-emergent down. So the soil temperature would be in, let's say, the mid-50s if you get a soil thermometer, which are not really expensive, and find out that way. Or when the forsythia is in bloom, that would be a good time to start going after them as far as making a, you know, getting good to, let's say, good control due to the herbicide. All right, so I can count on you coming out to my house and uh, and spraying all the herbicides. Right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> all right, Mike. It was nice talking to you again. Well, same to you. Wow. I mean, uh, yeah, class of nineteen sixty-seven. So, yeah, Jerry well, grew up across the street from me on Maple Lane. And Don Dunlevy, you remember him? Yeah, he lived with uh, the Harmons for a little bit. Yes, he was. So we'll have to get together for a wiffle ball game sometime. Sounds good. I have a great curveball. <laughs> I remember I remember that Hummer. <laughs> well, thanks, Dale. All right. Talk to you later. Yep. And now let's go out to Fenton from Baldwin and into Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Yeah, hi, Mike. Um, I enjoy your show and uh, what a great service and, and your knowledge is fantastic. So i um, hoping to pick your brain on, on a... Um, on a whim, I went to the store, and uh, I really liked these uh, uh, variegated English hollies. They were, had the real pretty leaves and the berries, and, and they were about 12 inches tall and colorful, and I needed a hedge, um, some bushes, so I bought nine of them. Ooh. And, <laughs> but, you know, in the back of my head, I knew it's uh, winter. You're supposed to plant these things in the fall. I, I From what I hear, I don't know, if, you know. Right. Um, so I guess my questions are, um, you know, is it should I plant them now or wait till spring? And then um, being that I wanted a three or four foot hedge, the um, label says that they grow 10 feet high. So I'm wondering if they can be cut down to like a three or foot, four foot hedge at maturity. You know, it takes them a while to grow, I'm sure. Right. I think some some said they were slow growing or um, and then uh, how far apart to plant them is it? Sorry for the, the complex, the multiple questions, but uh, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with these things. I got nine of them. So. Yeah, basically, I will tell you, variegated holly are not really all that hardy here. So okay. I'm not saying that you wasted your money, but I wouldn't, you know, it's going to be a very iffy circumstance for them to be able to survive, even, let's say, a milder winter than what we have. The variegation takes this sort of the strength out of the plant just in general as opposed to a holly that doesn't have a variegated leaf. So just realize that that's, you know, that's a you know, circumstance and condition. Uh, planting them now, if you don't plant them now, what are you going to do with them? Uh, just leave them in the pod. I guess I could put them in a, like a garage or something like 40. I guess it'd be, you know, I don't think, the yeah, the garage is not going to have enough light. So that's okay. going to be problematic. So probably what I do is just kind of cluster them together in an area where they're going to get some sunlight and then put mulch in between each individual pot and then around the perimeter and just kind of keep your fingers crossed. I wouldn't try to put them in the ground now because they're not going to do anything. It's going to be in the pot. They're probably going to be a little bit more protected. Ideally, if you could dig a hole and drop them down where half the pot is below the surface of the ground and then mulch around them. That would be ideal to do, but uh, I certainly wouldn't try to plant them and then don't have a whole lot of, uh, I mean, I don't want to say you wasted your money, but uh, it's a little tough for those particular plants to survive our weather. So it might not be a, 
I have an alternate location where they're not as, you know, that I could put them as a hedge where it wouldn't be a big deal if they didn't make it. But, um, but it, either way, it's kind of a gamble, I guess. Very much so. They're make it through. Right. And the when they say they're going to get 10 feet high, that's, let's say, someplace like Memphis and further south. Oh, okay. But, yeah, you see them, and, you know, people have, like, bushes where they're cut down, like, three feet high. And, right. And um, um, so I can try it, but it might not make it. And But they can be cut down. Right. You can you know, prune them. Feet high. Just make sure that it's a well-drained soil. They, You know, when you plant them, the crown, so the intersection of the stems and roots, is higher than the surrounding ground by a couple inches, and your soil is acidic. So you're going to add some organic material, some peat moss and things like that to make sure that it's an acid-based soil. Okay, great. So if I'm going to do it, do it in the spring and then... Right. Um, okay. Yeah, I thought, God, it's been freezing, you know. I'm just going to stick them in, and they're just going to be like popsicles. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just one of those things, you know, like impulse buys. You see them, and a little Christmas, like a little ornament hanging yeah. from it, and, and just look, you know, Christmas holly, and I guess it was just the season that got me. So, <laughs> but, um, uh, Well, ideally, what you could do is if you have a bright, you know, bright sunny window, is just have them in a, as a hedge inside your house. Okay. But as far as a hedge, I'd be better off with like a boxwood or something. Right. Um, or a regular holly, a non-variegated holly. They would work. Oh, okay. So they're more hardy then. Right. Absolutely. I just like the leaves, the way they were different colors. and um, Okay. Well, that that's very helpful. And um, I guess I probably shouldn't have bought nine, but <laughs> so, oh well, you know they were on sale. Well, I prefer odd numbers yeah. myself, so you did right as far as getting odd number. Well, thanks, Bob. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least they were on sale. I didn't pay full price. So. Good. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks so much for your service, and sure. uh, you have a happy new year. Same to you. And now let's head over to Granite City and what's going on with Steve. How are you, Steve? Good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, I've got some uh, crepe myrtles, and I've also got some Rosa Sharon. Uh, the Rosa Sharon I just planted this summer, and the crepe myrtles have been in the ground three to four years. Uh, on the crepe myrtles, I've left them uh, alone over a winter, and I've cut them back almost to the ground. And what's the best way to care for those uh in the fall to prepare them for the winter and next season? Basically, you don't really have to do anything. If you like to prune, and a lot of people do, you can cut them back. But you don't need to. What you can do is just wait until spring comes and watch and see if there's stems that that don't have any foliage, any leaf buds coming out of it. Figure that those have been killed due to the winter time, and then cut those all the way to the ground. Any of them that do have the foliage coming out in the early, you know, in the springtime, because they're summer flowers, then you basically leave those there and just cut off the ones that are not, let's say, pushing out new flowers, let's say, leaf buds. Okay. Uh, the Rosa Sharon are brand new. They were just planted. And uh, how do I take care of them for next season? Just I leave them alone. No pruning at all. Okay. Because how plants get established is they use sunlight and they mix that in with Let's say nutrients and moisture that are coming up from the root system that go into the leaf. So the more leaves that you would have on there, by not pruning, the better it's going to be for them to get their root system established. Okay. Um, I, I did buy this uh, fall a Meyer lemon tree in a pot. Ah. 
It was about two feet high, uh, looked very, very healthy, had little lemons on it and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, I took it in the basement when it started to get cold, and and I have a grow light down there. And uh, maybe I overwatered it because now it's just a stick. <laughs> Could be because yeah, if there's a stick and no foliage on it, then there was either overwater, there was not enough light, or even underneath the grow light, or whatever it happens to be. But if there's nothing, no foliage left on it at all, then it's a goner. Okay, that's what I needed to know. All right, all right, thank you. Certainly, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, got about uh, 10 minutes, not quite, maybe around 10 minutes left of this show. Then at 10 o'clock, the Rick Edelman Show. 11 o'clock, the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. 1 o'clock, Rick Edelman Show again. 3 o'clock, the Business of Family Business with Ryan Recker. And 4 o'clock, Health Matters, presented by SSM with Fred Bonimar. And 5 o'clock, the KMOX Auto Show with Greg Damon. Then it's blues hockey after that. Dusty lives in De Pere. Hi, Dusty. Hi. I, 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 have, a tree, uh, I have a tree that has uh, died and it had beetle holes in all, all over the tree. Mm-hmm. And I don't want it to affect my other trees, um, but I have some of the wood laying there. Will that do that? Uh, if, I mean, if the beetles could be in, are you? What kind of beetles were these? I have no idea. Okay, so you're sure that that's what you know actually killed it? Well, I don't know. I'm just saying it's got holes all over the tree. Oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I would just get rid of the wood. That way, you're pretty much sure. That uh, if there's any, let's say, beetles, adults, or larvae, or anything, it's usually going to be the larvae that's, you know, the, I mean, the emerald ash borer, what they do is they lay the eggs on the twigs and stuff like that, or other ash borers. Then when the eggs hatch, then they bore in. And as they, as they mature, then they kind of emerge back out. But there may be eggs in the, in the wood. And so, yeah, I would not just leave it set around just in case. Is there any kind of a spray I could use? No. Nothing's going to penetrate like that. I mean, injection systems when the tree was still alive would be helpful, but for the most part, there's nothing that can penetrate wood like what you have. Okay, thank you. Yeah, sorry. And now let's go to Crestwood in the John's yard. Hi, John. Good morning, Mike. I have a quickie question here. Uh, We have a lot of potted plants that were brought in to our plant room in October. Uh, we use insecticidal soap before bringing them in and then use systemic uh, insect granular in the soil. Mm-hmm. Now we've got small net-like flying bugs, right. just a few of them, but it's kind of, you know, is there a spray that will not hurt the plants? Yeah, use the insecticidal soap, and you're going to oh, have to again. spray every couple days. Because the gnats only have a short lifespan, maybe three or four days. But during that time, the females are laying eggs. So then there's going to be a whole sequence and sequence and sequence. So just keep after them on a constant basis. Ah, okay. Oh, that sounds much better. (laughs) Thank you very much and a very happy New Year to you. We love your show. Well, thank you and thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, the the fungus gnats, I mean, you, you never know when they're coming in. Because, consequently, the eggs are there. Most of the insecticides do not kill eggs. And that's why you almost have to kill them as adults and finally, uh, let's say, eliminate the population. 
Let's go to Crestwood, and now let's go to St. Charles and into Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Yes, good morning. Uh, my question has to do with burning bushes. I have a uh, replacement burning bush that was about, uh, oh, I guess about 10 feet tall that I put in several years ago. And uh, we trimmed off a couple of feet of it because it was just too tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, the subsequent growth uh, appeared to be only at the top of the bush and not within its uh, surrounding areas, you know, in the lower reaches. Um, is there anything that I can do to promote leaf growth? Uh, as far as down on the lower part of the plant, first of all, some of that is a result of how it was pruned. So in other words, if it was not sun hitting the branches that are lower down on the burning bush or any kind of shrub or pretty much any kind of tree, then it's not going to produce any kind of foliage. Burning bush has a tendency to, you know, just have foliage as any, most of the, let's say even evergreen or deciduous shrubs, the inside of them are always going to be naked. The, all the new growth is going to be on the exterior, so that's kind of what you're experiencing. I see. So, so there's helps. not really any kind of pruning technique. There's not any kind of fertilizer or anything else. This is just more or less a sort of a genetic circumstance that you can't really fight. I had an arborist uh, check it out, uh, and uh, they indicated to me that I had uh, a lot of uh, dead wood in the uh, lower reaches there that I probably should consider trimming that off. Well, you could do that. I mean, anything that doesn't have leaves on it is really not going to be helpful overall to the, you know, to the shrub because it's not, it doesn't have any foliage, so it's not producing any, let's say, food for the, for the shrub. But this is, I mean, that's sort of t- typical with a lot of different kinds of shrubs. As they mature, they're going to be in trees, too. As they mature, the inside branches and twigs and everything else are not getting any light, so the, the plant c- compartmentalizes them, shuts them off, and then they sort of just basically die. Got it. Okay. Is there any special fertilizer that I can use on uh, the bush? No, they're pretty tough and durable. Just uh, don't use the triple 12 and those kind of agricultural type fertilizers. Get one specifically for, you know, shrubs and maybe alternate uh, fertilizer for acid-loving plants, acid-loving shrubs and trees, and then one that's not for acid-loving. So you kind of make sure you get a good balance. But they're tough and durable. Good, good. Okay, well, thank you very much, Mike, and uh, Happy New Year to you. Well, same to you. And now the last call of the day was going to be Ralph in St. Peter's. Hi, Ralph. Mike, I'll make it quick, and I'll hang up and listen to the answer. Oh, you don't have to hurry. <laughs> I've got a two-box two wood, 24 inches. I know the best time to move them is in the fall. What's the latest time I can move them up to, March 15th or February or what? I wouldn't move them in the wintertime. I would say after March 15th. After March 15th. Right. And the other quick question is, can of bulbs, when? On the time. When you actually want to plant them? Yes, sir. There's no reason to put them in the ground too early because if the ground's cold, they're not going to grow. It'll rot. rot. Yeah. And not only just rot, they're just going to lay there. What's the best time of the year for that? Probably you're looking at, ideally, let's say, sometime when the ground starts feeling warm to the touch. So let's say mid-May, but what I do with my can is a lot of them. I put them in pots, you know, and then grow them, sprout them in pots in the garage. And then because they don't need a whole lot of light when they're just, let's say, sprouting. And then consequently, then I move them either into the ground or into larger pots outside. Mike, a healthy and prosperous New Year's to you and yours, buddy. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. And thanks to everybody. And, you know, have a great New Year's. And, uh, 
It's been, you know, a very nice year here at KMOX. I hope I'll be back next year. I don't know. I don't know what the ratings are or anything. <laughs> no. But uh, it, it, this has been a totally wild year. Every year is going to be wild in a different way. But if you kind of look back historically to this year, we had months where we were just drenched with rainfall. And then we had extended periods where it was really dry. And for the plant material, if you've had success growing pretty much anything, you know, a tip of the trowel to you because it is extremely difficult, even on native plant materials, to have great success with them. So, you know, you can be proud of yourself. And yes, we're all going to have things that die and things that really cause us heartache and aggravation and everything else. But for the most part, this is one of the most difficult regions in the entire country to have successful plant material because we have, let's say, the northern and the cool season, the cold season plants. This is the furthest they can come south. And then the warm season ones, this is the furthest they can go north. So we're at that transition point. And oh, and sometimes the garden centers, I wish, you know, like the variegated holly the gentleman bought. I mean, there's nothing wrong with buying it, but that's a plant that they should have sort of, sort of forewarned him that these are not really good, hardy plants for this region. But who knows? Maybe you'll have great success with it. He'll call back in a year or two and say, you don't know what you're talking about, and I'm never going to listen to your show again. So anyway, just enjoy and have a happy new year. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.